Today, we want to be talking about getting serious about finishing the task in our, our lifetime. This is a complicated and uh, difficult subject, and I'm going to start by maybe making uh, Paul squirm a bit. I don't know if you know about Paul. Uh, there's an article on the website where Paul is talking about so often the church likes to use the world's ways to get things done, use practical ways, but that the key to having Jesus' life is taking Jesus' truth, doing it Jesus' way, then we experience Jesus' life. But what the church so often does is uses Jesus' truth, and then we use the world's way of getting things done, the practical way. Oh, what's going to be the, the world says is the fastest way? We use the world's leadership models, uh, some of the, your, the world's gimmicks. But no, the key is that we use Jesus' methods, and they are often quite different from the world. So he may squirm when I'm going to talk about uh, us using some business principles here. Uh, But bear with me, Paul. I I won't go astray too far. Okay, there's a very famous business person, Peter Drucker. He's at the Claremont Colleges for many years. Uh, And he says there are two important questions. There are just two great questions in business. The first one is, what's your business? And the second one is, how's business? He said, you need to know if you're in business, you have to be very clear about what your business is. And then you need to evaluate all the time, how am I doing at reaching what my goal is? Okay? The, a compelling purpose statement is often crucial for a business. In fact, there's been, that's been a very popular topic that you, it's just imperative that a business has a simple mission statement that everybody understands and rallies behind and that the greatest companies almost always have that. They really, every single person understands how they fit into the compelling mission of their company. Uh, Chick-fil-A. Our family is a big Chick-fil-A family, partly because before we even knew what Chick-fil-A was, they sent people to do uh, missionary retreats, uh, retreats for the missionaries in China and uh, Hong Kong and Mongolia and other places that we were able to be part of. And it's just a great blessing. They used the profits of their company to do that. They did another time. They sent out teams to do business training. Uh, I've been so impressed with the Chick-fil-A model. Uh, it's run by the, uh, it's a Christian company run by Christians that are uh, really wanting to use their lives for God's glory. So that used to be their mission statement, to be America's best quick service restaurant. And I guess they, I'm not sure exactly how they measure that, but I looked online, and man, their approval ratings by people like in Yelp and other things, they're just saying, wow, it's this amazing restaurant. Um, but recently, they changed their mission statement to, to be remarkable. And as I looked at the site, I said, wow, I bet you when they evaluate that, they're saying, yeah, we're, we're on track. As I looked at the site, and things were like, oh, it was raining, and so they the employees had umbrellas and walked us out to our car after we ate. Uh, the employees brought our food to our table. Halfway through, every time we go there, halfway through our meal, somebody comes up and checks on us to see how our, our meal is doing. Uh, and they're saying, wow, it's crazy. It's remarkable. And that's what their purpose statement is, and every one of their workers wants to give people a remarkable experience. What's interesting is their corporate mission statement is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. 
and they're doing that in amazing ways. They sit down with all their employees, and they hire many non-Christians, but they sit down with every one of them and draw out a plan for how they can develop them. And in most cases, they're saying, our goal is for you to not work here. We want to develop your skills so that you can go on to a higher-paying job and a better job. We want to serve you. Just an amazing company. They really love and care for their workers and want to bring glory to God. But it's a great example of how they know what their mission is and all of them rally behind it. And I believe as the church, we need to do the same. We need to be very clear on what our purpose is, what mission God has given us. And then we need to ask, how are we doing? So we talked about this last, or I talked about this last time I preached. Uh, I've kind of rewritten this a little bit. I've said I've been working on this statement for 25 years. I changed it again a little bit here. But I believe our purpose as found in the Bible is to bring glory to God by living in an intimate, transforming relationship with God. And I think actually this is redundant. If our relationship is intimate with God, then it will be transforming our lives. And if our life is being transformed, it's because we're experiencing intimacy with God. So I think we could leave off either of these. Um, But I put them both because I think it's important for us to think about it in that way. That that brings glory to God when we are close to him, when we know him, and allowing him to change our life. It it brings him great glory. But also, we bring glory to God by bringing people from every nation, tongue, tribe, and place into an intimate, transforming relationship with God. So we're glorifying him in our lives, and we're playing some part and seeing him glorified in every place around the world. Now, for some people, he calls them overseas. Others, he calls us to our neighbors in the area around us, or maybe another, uh, like to the refugees about a mile from here. Um, He calls us different places, but our goal is to bring him glory by bringing those other people that don't know him into intimate relationship with him. I want to take a little bit of time to briefly look at the biblical background of some of these ideas. Everyone's familiar with Matthew 28, 18 to 20, called the Great Commission. And in it says, Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Now, what's really amazing about this is that start, Jesus says, all authority, all authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to me. So one aspect of that is he's saying, hey, I'm the boss. I'm in charge, and here's what I want you to do. But the amazing thing, really, is if you think about it, Jesus says, I have all the power. All the authority resides in me. But now I want you to go and make disciples of the nations. That's crazy. What seems like the logical thing would be, I have all the authority and the power. Watch me as I bring all the nations to myself. Wouldn't that be a lot easier? For God to do it himself. He's got all the power, all the authority. So it's a crazy idea that he gives us this privilege of being his ambassadors. 
with all, he knows all of our frailties. He knows man, the Bible said when he was on earth. He said he knew the heart of man. He, he saw people stumble and fall short in so many ways. And yet when he's the boss and has all the authority, he does this crazy thing of giving us these clay pots, the responsibility for fulfilling his mission. Because when he uses clay pots, simple, ordinary people, and does extraordinary things through us, it brings him glory, brings glory to the Godhead, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the Great Commission. Often we, we don't quite understand it right. I, I looked at a book recently that talked a lot about the Greek. And in the Greek, the main verb is to make disciples. And the participle verbs, the supporting verbs, are by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. But because in the Greek, the, the verb to go is put a before the main verb, uh, whenever that happens, it gives it a more of an imperative sense, so more of a command. So the, there are two commands in it, to go and to make disciples. How do we do that? Well, we, do the, we make disciples by baptizing people and teaching people. Now, the key is not just teaching, but teaching to obey. And this clearly is one of the biggest weaknesses of the American church is we do a lot of teaching. But Jesus said, teach people to obey. There's a huge difference in that. And so we need to make sure in our men's and women's groups, in our community groups, in all that we do, that we're not just teaching people, but we're teaching them to obey. Often to teach someone to obey, I've, to, to preach is a pretty lousy way to do that. Okay, we need to be out with people helping them, uh, modeling for them how to do it, going with people. Um, yeah, just teaching is not going to do it. And Jesus taught, but for three years, his disciples were with him all day long, everywhere he went. We need to have that kind of life-on-life relationships. And we're seeing that, and I think that's great. That's a power of our church, but we need to uh, magnify that even more. But the main command was going and making disciples. So we need to ask that of our life. Lord, make that our prayer. That's been my prayer. Lord, would... I want you to use me to fulfill your purposes. Help me to make disciples. Help me to find people that don't know you and bring them to you. Help me develop people that are new Christians to become more and more like you. And help me to be a disciple that I'm continually in training to be more and more like you. Be like, uh, you might say, oh, I'm a marathoner. And they say, oh, really? Oh, you're training for a marathon? Well, no, I, I ran a marathon 10 years ago. Uh, I don't think that makes you a marathoner. That's an ex-marathoner. If you're a marathoner, you're doing it right now. You know, you're David Kim, you know, running hundreds of miles each, uh, Lee, hundreds of miles each week, okay? And the same with a disciple of Christ. You're in training. I'm continually trying to be more and more like Christ. I'm a disciple of his. That's what we want to be. So this command is, is key. It was the, basically the last command before Jesus went to heaven. It's a tough one. You know, it makes me uncomfortable. And I say, boy, the last thing Jesus said was to make disciples. Oh, Lord, it's, it's a lot easier just to go to church on Sundays than just to make disciples. How do I do that? We need to be asking about that. We need to be praying and asking God that he would see us as a church make more and more disciples. Okay? 
That was his command, make disciples. Among every people group, in the NIV, ESV says among every nation, the Greek word is ethne, among all the ethnic groups. So that's what he wants to see happening. And then before I go next, Helen's going to share a little bit about this idea of making disciples. Or you can make a disciple, you need to help them to hear about Jesus. And that's a hard topic because sometimes I don't even know how to bring up the topic. How do you bring up the topic when they have never heard? And so um, in our many years um, in China, I, I feel like God has taught me to really be an observer and a learner and to see how to start those conversations to start those spiritual um, baits. And um, it, it's been really challenging for, for us, but also rewarding. Because when you start those conversations, you don't know where it's going to go. And a lot of times you're rejected. And that doesn't make me feel good. And, and then other times you see this transformation in, in the person that's so amazing that, that makes you just want to do it more and more. That's what gives me courage, and that's what um, fuels me more. And so um, one thing that we do in our family is that we, um, every time we're in a um, taxi or, or a bus, we, we try to share with the person or the taxi driver. And if it's a male driver, Wei would sit in the front, and he would share, and we would be in the back praying, or sometimes we team tag and try to um, get that conversation started. And I remember this one time, it was a woman driver, and I was in the front, and I started sharing with her, and she had nothing but rejection for me, and even criticized everything I said, and, and even about me. <laughs> and, and so uh, it didn't feel good, but I, I felt the Lord wanted me to go through it, um, even as an example for my kids. So afterwards, my kids said to me, oh, that was really good, Mom, and, and we'll just continue to pray for her. And maybe she's just the first one that, you know, the Lord has started this conversation with her. And maybe eventually somebody will be bringing in the, the fruit. And so, um, yeah, that, um, you know, after you have enough of those rejections, it kind of makes you a little bit um, wilted and, and not want to go out again. But then there are experiences that, that just so um, feel you so much, that fills you, and, and you think, God, it is such a privilege to, to be your worker. This one time I was um, doing an errand. We were um, out of town, and I'm just trying to get everything done um, before we have to get on the bus to head back to Jingxi. And um, I was in the market, and I, I instead of taking a taxi because it was um, – a lot of traffic that day. I took one of those uh, motorcycle guys, and um, he he had me in the back, and he started talking to me. And I thought, I do not have time to talk today. I just got to get back to the hotel and pack up and and leave. And um, he said, You must be a teacher. I'm thinking, You don't know me. I'm not a teacher. And 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 um, I I started kind of you know being offended by what he was talking to me, and I thought. I'm married, I have kids, I can't talk to you today, you know? And, and so anyway, he began to ask me a lot of questions, and I thought, oh, my goodness, God has prepared this person. He is ready to hear. So I began to share with him, and to my shame, he was tracking so much. God definitely had a, a 
special time for him. And at the end, he said, if that's all true, what do I need to do? And I was so ashamed because I was so into my own things that I did not want to share with him. And, and so at the end of that, um, I was able to connect him with the local church and the brothers and sisters followed him up and, and now he's following uh, Jesus. And, and um, I, I share that because it is one of those experiences that fuels us so much, it's so addictive that makes me want to go back even though there's like thousands of rejections. And those amazing times that God um, allows you to see that it's not you. You are weak. You're not able to do anything. But it is I that prepare the hearts. I make it happen. And, and so, um, yeah, I just want to say it is challenging when I look at that verse to make disciples. How do I do that, Lord? I can't. But, but again, the theme is not about us. It is about him. And when he prepares the hearts, um, he will do the rest. And we, we don't even have to do very much. We just have to enjoy that. Yeah, like Helen, I can remember sometimes of um, sharing the gospel with people. And I remember, especially the first times I did it in Chinese, I just felt, oh, Lord, thank you. I can't believe I'm sharing the good news in some other language that I didn't used to know. Man, you have been so gracious to allow me that privilege. But then the thought of, of sharing God's truth of salvation and his love with somebody that had never heard it before, in some cases hadn't heard of Jesus before, gave me just so much joy, even though the person didn't receive it. Um, often they were curious and interested, but it was just, uh, I can't, almost can't explain the, just the, the joy of that. I, I mentioned before, a colleague of ours said, the happiest people in the world are those that regularly share their faith. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. We're made to do that. We're fulfilling God's purpose when we do that. It's hard, especially when you get rejected. That's why our prayer should be when Jesus sent out the 12 and the 72, he told them to go and find a person of peace who would receive them and receive their message and allow them to live in their house with them. And I, that needs to be our prayer. God, I want to be your ambassador. I, if you'll lead me to people that will receive this message that you want me to share with, I will share with them. And I believe God's going to do that this year as we, as we pray to him. And at that, that prayer, God, lead me to those people you have been preparing to be in your kingdom. Uh, and I will be obedient. And asking God, God, who do you want me to share with? Who do you want me to strike up a conversation with, to build a relationship? What, if there's a stranger, to turn them into an acquaintance, an acquaintance into a friend, a friend into a believer in Christ. The second verse we want to look at is Matthew 14. Matthew 24, verse 14, that ends in saying, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this is a very interesting verse. It says, When the gospel is preached to every ethne, every people group, then the end is going to come. And in this passage, if you have your Bibles, look at it in, in Matthew 24. They're asking Jesus here, the disciples say, Tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. 
and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See, see that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and, uh, and, have, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's a very sobering passage. Very excited that, exciting that as the gospel gets out to all the world, all the ethne, then the, the end will come. Now there's, we don't have time to get into today, but this, it talks about this time of tribulation. Okay, and the Bible talks of a seven-year period of tribulation. There's Christians that believe um, the Christians will be raptured, taken up to heaven to be with Jesus at the beginning of it. Others believe that Christians will be raptured in the middle of it. And others believe that Christians, Christians will be taken up to Jesus at, at the end of it. So it's pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. I still haven't figured out what, what I believe. Paul, do you, do you have a position? What is it? All right. Which is it of the three? Post. Okay. That's the one I, I'm glad to hear that. That's the one I'm, you know, the Left Behind series, what does it teach? Pre-tribulation. Okay. So those are interesting books, but yeah, there are a lot of people that don't agree with that theology. Some people don't agree with it because they said God would never let his people suffer through the tribulation. God is too loving to do that. And yet we know it's the, through the difficult times in our life, 95% of Christians say, oh, 95% of my growth happened during the difficult times. Because God loves us, he allows us to go through difficulties. And if this life was all there was to life, it wouldn't be fair. God, to make his people he created, said he'd give us a full life, and then he makes us suffer. It makes no sense. But we have all eternity that will be in paradise with him. A great missionary, uh, Morrison, uh, who took the gospel in Asia and China, he said, we have but a few remaining hours of sunlight to win God's battles, and then we'll have all of eternity to celebrate them with God. Uh, so if there wasn't all of eternity, yeah, it wouldn't make sense that God would allow his people to suffer. But it's, it's quite likely um, that that... This is uh, how it will be. And if we're wrong, it's okay. We know about these other positions, and we won't be caught off guard. If God raptures us at the beginning, we'll, Paul and I on the way up will say, well, we got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it is sobering that uh, there may, there's going to be likely suffering involved, and yet God is, uses that difficult time to get the gospel to, to all these nations. And that... When it gets out, then the end will come. There's actually been movements in history called Bring Back the King. The idea being, let's finish this job. Let's get the gospel to all the nations so that Jesus can come back. Um, when you think about how do you feel about that? Hmm. 
A lot of people say, oh, i got a lot of things on my bucket list I still want to do. I'm not ready for Jesus to come back. Uh, I'm not ready for the tribulation. I'm not too excited about that. Okay? But let's, think, let's look at what, what Scripture says in these matters and conform our lives to it. In Revelation 7, 9, it says there'll be people from every nation, tongue, and tribe in heaven. And then it's very interesting. It, it, it mentions that these are people that are coming out of the tribulation. I want to just read that. Revelation chapter 7, verse uh, 9. I looked and there and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And then at the end it says in verse 13, One of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed, clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So interesting, this, this gathering of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe is linked to the, to the tribulation. So um, it's even during this time of uh, persecution and suffering, somehow God uses it powerfully for the spread of the gospel. And now a key verse I really want us to think about again. We've talked about this in the past. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Okay, and it's here, it's talking about uh, the day of the Lord. And if we pick it up, um, at the beginning of chapter 3. Okay. Knowing that, uh, verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have con- are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these that the world then existed was deluged with water and perished. By, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? So it's talking about some people say, hey, where's when's Jesus going to return? You know, things just keep going on as normal. Have you ever felt that about life? Oh, there's talk about the end times. These people say, hey, since the fathers, I think speaking of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the world just continues. And he answered, he said, no, no, the world hasn't always just continued from the very beginning. 
There used to be no world at all, and God created the earth. And then he flooded the earth and destroyed it and started anew. He said, things haven't gone on just as always. And one day there'll be another change where the earth is renewed again, and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And he says, in light of that, and, the, and he links that with Jesus' return. And he says, in light of that, how should we live? He said, we should, l- waiting for, the NIV says, looking forward to and hastening the coming of the day of God and speeding the coming of the day of the Lord. Are you looking forward to that day? We talked about this before when we talked about heaven. Are you speeding its coming? We're commanded to do that. Because we know that one day there's these things lie ahead after these tribulations, Jesus' return, because of that, we want to speed the day. We want to be with Jesus. We look forward to that day. For many, they say, oh, it's so hard to look forward to it if, if we're going to have to go. Are we going to have to go through those tribulations? How can I look forward to that? And it makes me think I went to school at the U.S. Air Force Academy in the freshman year the freshmen are called doulies, which comes from the Greek word doulos, meaning slave. Basically, you do whatever the upperclassmen tell you. And when you eat your meal, you sit at the table, and you have to, there's an emblem at 12 o'clock on your plate, and you have to look at that, and you have to give your chin back, and you have to bring your food up like this, and you can never look anywhere except for that label. And the upperclassmen ask you a question. If they ask you a question, you have, you're allowed three bites. So they always ask you when it's on your first bite, so you have to chew, chew, swallow this big, and say, yes, sir. And they ask you a question and harass you for a whole year. And then in the spring, it's called Hell Week. And for four days, they can do anything to you all day long. You have to carry your group of 25 and your uh, doolies in your squadron. We'd have to carry this huge rock to the top of this mountain and then bring it, drag it back. And um, they'd put us in our winter uniforms, wool coats and hats, and put us in the shower and the steam going up. And just, it was called Hell Week for a good reason. <laughs> wasn't a lot of fun. But you know how we made it through? Is we knew after this is over, we are considered upward classmen. We don't have to have our chin in all the time and look at the emblem on the plate. And when we walked places, there was marble on the terrazzo, and you could only walk on the outside. You couldn't cut across diagonally, and all kinds of ridiculous, silly things we had to do for nine months. But you said, man, it is going to be so great when we are upperclassmen, and next year there'll be new doolies, and we'll be doing this to them. It was what ahead that enabled us to get through it, and I believe the, the same way. That's why it's so important to start with the beginning in mind of what how incredible heaven is going to be when we reign with Jesus. We have real work to do and real responsibilities and where we see them face to face that we can endure some of these things and that's why we want to speed the coming and we speed the coming by helping the gospel get to all places and to all peoples and what's exciting is that doesn't always mean going very far you know in LA there are so many peoples of the world that are coming here and we need to be asking God please Lead me to bump into people or help me, direct me to where I can go where there's people from around the world that you've brought to L.A. that I can befriend them and eventually have opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, lead me to those people. We want to speed the coming of the day. We're commanded to look forward to that day and to speed its coming. Um, and it, it's going to involve suffering. 
but we can endure it because our focus isn't on the life here and just trying to make our life happy and comfortable. Often that's what I find myself doing, but God reminds me it's not about the here and now. We have this short time now to win glory for God. We'll have all eternity to celebrate it with him. I was reading um, in the book by Randy Alcorn, who's written all these books about heaven, and he, he was talking about this idea of bucket lists. He said, oh, don't worry about your bucket list. When you get to heaven, you'll kind of have a bucket list of all the great places you want to go, and they'll be so much more marvelous than on earth. You know, that, that it will pale in comparison. You won't, you won't regret saying, oh, I never got to go to Venice. You know, I always wanted to go to Venice. He said, it's going to be such a new and amazing heavens and new earth and new Jerusalem. You'll never think of that old, pathetic, dirty bucket list you had on earth. We need to put our focus ahead. Oops, I just turned it off. Okay. And then, as we read this morning... The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. This brings so much encouragement to, to Helen and I, and we, I, we've seen this in our work. So many times we just thought, Lord, what we're doing is just amounting to nothing. You know, it's just this little mustard seed. But over the years, God takes what we faithfully try to do for him and, and makes it into something great. Um, just like here, eight years ago, just a handful of people. God's kingdom is like that. It slowly grows, the smallest of seed, yet it becomes the biggest of the garden plants, that even the birds are able to sit in the shade of that tree. God, don't ever shake your finger at something small done for God's glory. God will use that, and amazing like a mustard seed, just so tiny, and yet God's able to transform it into something big and wonderful. And then lastly, important verse is Jesus told the disciples not to go. He said, wait, don't do anything till." You receive the Holy Spirit. And after you receive the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. It's so critical. We, we can't do this. this. This job of speeding the coming of the Lord's return, taking the gospel to these people that have believed. You know, sometimes in China we'd be sharing with somebody who's 40 years old and, um, and they wouldn't be very responsive. And then I'd think, well, for 40 years they've had this worldview that there's evil spirits and they need to burn incense to these evil spirits. You know, how am I going to change something they believe for 40 years in four minutes when I present the gospel? I can't. I can't. But the Holy Spirit somehow is able to. And like Jesus said, we need to rely upon it. Praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit as well as um, taking action. As um, missionaries, I think um, our first um, response is, yeah, we'll go, we'll share, and we'll tell. But then sometimes we don't wait long enough for the Holy Spirit, and, and we're not praying long enough. And I, I think um, of our many different experiences. You know, we go to these villages for generations, these places, have been under Satan's control. And, and we think, oh, we're going to go there. And, and maybe it's our naiveness, and, and we think, oh, we're going to go and take this for Jesus. And we go, and we're totally deflated because there are um, strongholds 
there are evil spirits that's in charge. And I just uh, remember early years when we went to a funeral, there was this um, lady that's getting ready to be a witch doctor. I had no idea. And um, she was fascinated with our family and she wanted to know how I got to America. And so um, I started sharing with her and all of a sudden her face just goes blank. Like it was like she was in a trance. She could not hear anything. But when the conversation started with just about everyday life, she came back. It was just amazing to me. And it taught me that um, I needed to be careful how I go into these places, that I needed to make sure that I am suited in his armor, that I am, uh, I am fully filled with his Holy Spirit, that I have to make sure that I have my quiet times and I have to make sure that I go into those quiet places and, and pray for these people so that I am not looking at them as an accomplishment. I am not looking at them another number that I can check off, but that I really have the love of God and that I am going with him and not by myself. Now, briefly, we want to look at a couple definitions. We are kind of already talked about these things. Unreached people group, or you heard this term UPG, which is the largest group the gospel can spread in without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. And a people group with less than 2% active Christians is considered unreached. And most of the maps and things you'll look at, and we'll look at one a little bit later. Um, but it's important, barriers of understanding and acceptance. Basically, it's an ethnic group. And it's uh, the simplest terms, it's when they say us and them. If you're one of them, then you're a different people group. If you're us, you're our people group. And the gospel spreads best through a people group, but if it encounters barriers of understanding, usually that's language. So if this next group over has a different language, the gospel doesn't naturally flow into it. Or maybe it has the same language, but there's barriers of acceptance. Okay, maybe it's a, a different ethnic group. They have different culture. And so this culture's uh, behaviors are thought of as weird or strange or foreign. And so these people are not accepted. And so what missiologists have found is we're, the goal is to start a church planting movement in every one of these ethnic groups and then let it spread. And, and they want to go till at least there's 2% active Christians. There's the idea that when there's that many Christians, then the nationals have the resources to reach the rest of their people. So the missionaries are trying to stay there at least until they get to be about 2%. Now, Jesus never said 2%. This is man's thinking, but, but that's the idea behind it. Um, and Helen's just going to talk just for a second about this idea of are there unreached peoples? What's that like? Um, I, I really was amazed that um, when I first um, went into Guangxi that there, I, I just very naively, I thought, well, I can just use Chinese. I know how to speak Chinese. I've eaten Chinese food. I've been to Chinese places. I know these people. But I, when I got into the village, that's when I realized, you know what? I'm in the foreign land. I'm in this time warp that's like 50 to 100 years back. They don't have electricity. They don't have the nice amenities that we have here. And they don't even understand me. When I start speaking Chinese, they said, oh, she's speaking the TV language. And they, they didn't really relate to what I was sharing with them. And I was amazed that I couldn't just start with, you know, Jesus loves you. What's Jesus? 
have you ever heard of Jesus? Is that a food? Is that a person from the next village? Is that a product that we can buy? Is that something you made? No connection whatsoever. And um, I was amazed by that. I remember um, when I was a single, being in the, one of these villages, um, come dark and there was no electricity, and they started just pulling white hair from each other's heads, and I thought, oh my goodness, I can never come back. I can never come back. Uh, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> but, the, but the Lord uh, graciously somehow um, gave me uh, a call to go back and um, to go back. And now, like, you know, I had fear. I thought I could never even talk to these people. And now I look for those people. I love to sit with them and just hear their stories. And, um, yeah, God, God is so gracious when I think about that. Um, I wanted to tell you a, a little story that I was hanging out with these old ladies, and I would go back, you know, a week um, or a couple weeks and just hang out with them. And, and one time I was going back, and um, they were watching TV, and um, they were watching Teletubbies. These are, like, <laughs> these are, like, old ladies, okay? <laughs> and I thought, what are you guys watching Teletubbies? And, and really close to the and, and really close to the screen. I mean, a lot of them need glasses, but they were really close. <laughs> and I thought, this is amazing. And so as we were talking, I didn't want to disturb them because they were on <laughs> to this TV show. And, and afterwards, they shared with me that somebody in their village had won the lottery from watching Teletubbies. And there were numbers that you can pick out. And, and so we need to do this. So these people are, they are sheep without shepherd. They are getting information for generations from the wrong source. And they will never hear until somebody goes and tell them. And so, um, yeah, their worldview is so different. And, and I, I went back week after week after week trying to share with them and again, Without the Holy Spirit, no matter what I say, it's not enough. It's not enough. But when, when the Lord opens their hearts, it's amazing. So these ladies, uh, one of them um, eventually died because she had cancer. But through that, we were able to share so much. So sometimes, you know, you think, oh, I am equipped. I will go and tell them about Jesus. And um, I've been trained. I can do all things through Jesus, of course. But um, there's so many elements that I never, never would have even imagined um, that are involved. But um, with the Holy Spirit, he opens doors that I can never, never shut. So I would never thought like a funeral or, or somebody's death would open up opportunities. I just thought, oh, if I just hang out with them long enough, they'll come to Christ. But um, sometimes God uses the most... Um, um, extraordinary things to bring people to Christ. Yeah. In Matthew 9, 36, it said, Jesus looked on the crowds and had compassion, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We need to ask God, Lord, give us your compassion. Give us your eyes to see people like you do and have compassion upon them. All right, the other uh, definition is UUPGs, you may hear of, unengaged. So it's this idea, it's a people group that is less than 2% Christian, 
but it's probably far less than that because they don't have any missionaries that are working among them. And there's still around 30% or of the people groups that that's true for. Um, so this can be very sobering as we look at our, the state of the world. But I want to end by saying you there is some really, really good news that God has been at work. And I want to share some things. You don't normally hear about them. You won't hear about it on ABC or CBS or NBC. But God is at work. And these things don't get, get known. But we are living at an extraordinary time. And I want to talk about what's happening as far as reaching the nations. Okay, in Jingxi, 18 years ago when we went there, the whole province had about uh, 20-some workers, and they were all living in the big cities trying to meet Zhuang, but 80% of the Zhuang live in the villages. But 18 years later, now these workers in, in about 12 of, let's see, I think I have a map here, this map. Initially, there was a five workers here, five workers in Guilin, Liuzhou, uh, five workers in another big city. Um, and, but now, 18 years later, in, almost, in uh, about three-quarters of these colored areas, which are each different Zhuang dialects, there are translators and church planters working together. And there's a friend of ours in Nanning, and in his house church, we helped to, to disciple him, and his house church now is sending out groups to five, uh, groups in their church go out to five of these different areas, uh, taking the gospel, trying to get churches started there. Um, so great things have happened. We've had this partnership that we helped to start getting all the workers from different agencies to work together. And God has blessed that unity and worked for people to go out together in teams. Um, so there's been progress. Uh, and then when we first got to Jingxi, there were no house churches at all. Uh, there had been one that fell apart because there was the guy's family was just, just, just in disarray. Um, and later he became part of a cult. Um, so there was no house churches, but over time, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and through God's help, uh, initial church, house church was started, and then later now that church has been bringing people in from the countryside that have had churches that are coming in, and sometimes they meet and they have up to 100 people that get together, and so God is using this to bring encouragement and build his church there. And there's a village church, Bo and Cindy are working with a house church that's getting close to becoming a, a church now. Um, let's see, I missed something here. Okay, uh, so a lot of progress among the Zhuang, this partnership alliance. Uh, Bo and Cindy hosted a, a national, more and more nationals in China have the heart for the world. In fact, there's a movement called the Back to Jerusalem movement where China believes God has given many of the house churches this vision that Chinese are going to take the gospel through the old Silk Road trade routes, down through Vietnam, down through, out through Xinjiang, and through the Middle East, uh, through all the countries leading back to Jerusalem. And God has spoken to many house churches in this, and the Chinese are doing it. I get the prayer letter for back to Jerusalem. They have workers that are going to Iraq now and taking the gospel there uh, in several other countries. And by 2025, the Chinese are hoping to send 20,000 missionaries out along those routes for the sake of the gospel. Uh, as we look at China, from 1989, when we got in China in 1989, 99, right, 99, I should say, there are about 200 unengaged UPGs. So China has 400 um, minorities. The government only says there's 52, but there's actually 400. That's a long story. But uh, so a number of them, a couple hundred of them, had workers in among them, but there were still more than 200 that didn't have any missionaries focused on them at all. 
But just this year, now the number's down to 65. So workers are out in, in, in over 150 groups that weren't there before. And these 65 that are left, many of these groups are less than 50,000. Before, they were groups of one, two, three million that had no workers. And now there's just these smaller groups, pretty much. Maybe there's one group over a million, but the rest are small. So there's incredible progress that's been made. Uh, our company had a reorganization four years ago to say a lot of our workers were on the East Coast working with house churches there, trying to plant churches. And our company said, wait a minute, as we look at the map of China, things have changed. And so these people on the East Coast either need to change their focus from church planting to mobilizing the Christians on the East Coast to go to the unreached people groups, or these workers themselves need to go to the unreached people groups in China and bring their house church contacts with them to target these areas. And it was because this map, okay, green on this map means it's more than 2%. Look at China, all these places that are more than 2% active Christians. In 1999, this map, all, almost all the places that are green were, were red or yellow, meaning there either were no workers there, or they, they would have been yellow, meaning a lot of the places had workers, but it was less than 2%. Now there's places like Wenzhou. I have, I have this document I was looking at the other day. 17% Christian. Uh, another couple places like that in, in some of these coastal areas. That's where the gospel first came to China. It's been there longer. Uh, and so the Chinese nationals are taking hold of the gospel and, and taking it. The Zhuang are down here. We're some of the, our, our areas, these, some of these red dots are some of the unreached, unengaged Zhuang groups. The yellow ones are the groups that are engaged. There's workers there, but they're not yet 2%. So this incredible transformation has happened in China. Our company saw that and said, we've got to change our strategy. So workers now were sent either to, to go to the red areas or to get their house, to house churches mobilized for them to go. Huge transformation. And there is a mustard seed. We didn't really see this happening. And then one day we look at the map and it's like, whoa, all these, this used to be all red. But in the last 20 years, now there are places where 17% of the people in China and in cities are Christians. So God is doing incredible things. There's been a partnership that's been started where all the agencies get together in Kunming. We've been part of that, trying to, we have a list of the remaining unreached people groups that aren't engaged. And the goal is to let's find a way to get them engaged through nationals doing it, through us doing it, bringing people from whatever country. Let's get every one of these, let's get workers in all these areas and get the gospel to them. Helen was part of the first meeting of the Chinese branch of this, where the Chinese nationals got together and said, let's look at this list of unengaged groups that don't have any missionaries. What can we do to get the house church, the Chinese, reaching our own people? So that was the very first meeting of that group. It was very exciting. Um, Friends of China, another organization, has been gathering Chinese that want to go to people groups outside of China, and they're training them. Uh, it's been very exciting. I mentioned this Back to Jerusalem movement. A lot is happening. In the year 2000, there were more missionaries from developing countries than from the West. So some people said the baton of missionary work was passed on. Well, there's still work for Westerners to do, but now the majority of mission work in the world is being done by what we call the two-thirds world or the developing world. That's a very exciting development. In Korea, 1900, there were no Protestant churches. Today, 30 to 40% of South Korea is Christian. 
In sub-Sahara Africa, everything below the Sahara Desert in Africa, 3% Christian in 1900. Today, 50% Christian in sub-Saharan Africa. And they say by 2030, Africa will be the country with the most Christians in the world. Latin America, 50,000 Christians in 1900, 20, 100 million Protestants in 2000, and in 2025, it will be the continent with the most Christians in the world. Five years later, it will be surpassed by Africa then, at current, the way current growth is going. The gospel is growing, growing like gangbusters in many places of the world. It's very exciting. Um, we're in the third and final era of missions. The first era was where Protestants took the gospel to the coastlands. William Carey went to India, to the coastlands of the world. Then the next era you'll hear about later today, Hudson Taylor began taking the gospel into the interiors. It went to the coastlands first because it was convenient. Then it went inland uh, because they saw the needs there. And then the third era was hidden people or these unreached people groups. Before this, and uh, that started in 1934 with Cameron Townsend with SIL. He formed Wycliffe Bible Translator. Then Donald McGavran at Fuller and Ralph Winter at the U.S. Center for World Mission. They saw that in missions, everybody had been looking at nations, political countries, and it seemed like the gospel was in there, most of the nations. And then they realized, no, the Bible commanded us to take it to all the ethnic groups. And they started looking and realized, wow. In fact, one thing Ralph Winter once said, and Donald McGovern had, was his mentor and had taught him this, said, he said, if there was a world, this was like in 1974, if there was a revival where every Christian in the world shared the gospel with every non-believer they knew, in all the cultures of the world, every Christian shared the gospel with all the non-believers that they knew. And, they, and it was such a revival that every one of them accepted the Lord. Think of how many Christians there would be. He said, no, still 50% of the world wouldn't be Christian because there are so many cultures, these hidden peoples that don't have any Christians. They have no churches. It was stunning. It stunned the world. And because of that, people began to focus on these unreached peoples. And now... Like in China, it's down to 67 unreached people groups. And around, I went to a conference at Saddleback in December, and it was the worldwide movement, where, and there were four, 500 leaders from around the world strategizing. Okay, the list is at, I can't remember what it was, uh, 800 or something, 600. They're saying, okay, how do we get this down to zero? And they were making plans, and agencies stepped up and said, we're going to adopt these groups. We're going to find people to go to them. And somebody else said, we're going to take these. It's very exciting what God is doing. The number of churches to people groups in the world. At, uh, even look back in 1980, 160 churches for every people group in the world. Now there's 1,000 churches for every people group. So even for unreached people groups, churches to unreached people groups, even higher than this. So there's so many churches, at least 1,000 churches for every unreached people group. Certainly 1,000 churches could get together and reach one. Practicing Christians, believing, uh, a lot of times this is considered evangelical Christians. Okay, we don't hear about this, but it's been growing steadily. Now it's at more than 12% of the world and, and rising. The task has been diminishing. At 8,100, there was, for every one Christian, there were 360 nominal or non-Christians. Okay, and today, for every Christian, there's only seven nominal or non-Christians. So the task is becoming much smaller. Okay, Progress around the world. Bible-believing Christians are going 2.1 times faster than Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. You don't hear about this on the news. 
but it's because when they look at evangelical and active Christians, they're growing much faster than Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. More Muslims have come to Christ in the last 15 years than in the prior 1,500 years. We hear about all the terrorism and all that, and we think, oh, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, God, what's happening? God is discrediting Islam. More and more Muslims. I have a friend that's working with refugees in Germany, and he says, we meet them out on the street, and they are so broken, and they are so disillusioned with Islam, and we tell them about Jesus' love, and they want to hear about it. And they're having people, they haven't had any except, but they're meeting with several, and they've been there two months. Uh, they went with a summer team last summer, and the summer team of 15 people led 36 Muslims to the Lord in one month. God is doing incredible things. Now listen to this. 70% of all the progress toward world evangelization has happened since 1900. So in the last 116 years, 70% of the total progress. Of that, 70% of that progress, or 49, half of the total progress has happened since 1945. And 70% of that, or 35% of all the progress from the time of Christ until today has happened in the last 16 years. We're in the third and final era of missions. Christians are getting serious about finishing this task like at no other point in history. And we're seeing these numbers coming down. And the list, there didn't, never was really very any good list. And now they're really accurate lists. We lament this on the field. We have to fill out this report every month about all the people groups around us and what's happening. We hate doing it. But it's leading to this great research that's showing this task is getting done. It could happen in our lifetime, and we all could be part of it. Can you imagine being in heaven and somebody coming up and speaking some language? You don't know what they're saying. Somebody translates, or maybe we all speak the same language. And, and this person says, thank you for praying. Thank you for giving to Bo and Cindy. I'm a Zhuang believer that's in here because of how you invested in praying for us and giving. And then there being Zhuang after Zhuang after Zhuang because we got in step with what God's doing in the world. We conformed our lives to his purposes. And we saw, wow, all the, our bucket list on earth is not going to matter at all when we have the joy of seeing these beautiful people in heaven because of how we invested our life. And we saw what was happening what God was doing during our lifetime, and we got in step with him. That's our prayer, is that we'd all get in step with what God is doing, bringing him glory through our own individual lives and bringing glory to him by bringing others into relationship and building his kingdom. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, help us to wait upon you, God. and see what role you want us to have. There's so many ways we can be involved. But Lord, that we'd be passionate about it. And Lord, again, help us to understand what you're calling us to do with our lives. Somebody once said, Lord, that if God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be president of the United States. And in the same way, Lord, if God is calling people here to be a teacher, a high school teacher for your glory, or an engineer, or a housewife, Lord, help them not to stoop to be president of the United States. Whatever you call us to do and invest our lives in, Lord, that's a holy calling. Lord, we just long to speed the coming of your day that we can see you face to face. And Lord, give these people 
all around the world that are harassed and helpless a chance to spend eternity with you as well, Lord. Lord, work in our hearts. Help us to not leave and not think about this again, but to figure out how we can be in step with you, how to use these remaining hours here to win glory for you so that we can celebrate throughout eternity our victories with you. In Jesus' name.